Sometimes our words get us into trouble. Everybody okay with me saying that? Anybody deny that? Uh, think that you're the exception? Uh, it's, it's the reason our moms would say, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, or at other times, how many of you had your mouth washed out with soap? Uh, yeah, exactly. Moms and grandmothers had all of these wonderful tricks. Uh, you probably get a visit from defects now if you did that. But as you saw, many of us lived through that and are better for it. Because our moms and our grandmothers knew that uh, our, our words had consequences. Our, our words were powerful. Thousands of years before your mom or my mom lived or your grandmother or my grandmother lived, there was a ruler in Israel by the name of Solomon. He was uh, one of the one of Israel's kings, and Solomon came up with a way to express the potential negatives of the words that we use. Uh, he puts it almost in an equation. I know we're coming to the end of school, but it sort of reads in Proverbs like a mathematical equation. It's Proverbs ten nineteen, and Solomon said, when words are many, Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Some translations say sin is not lacking. When, when words are many, sin is not lacking. And, and again, it's almost like a math equation. As X is going up, X being the number of words that we use, Y is also going up, Y being our chances to sin. Uh, so if you want to stop sinning, according to Solomon, or if you want to sin less, one of the best things you can do is not say so much, not talk so much, because the more you talk or text or post or comment or share your opinion, the more likely it is that you're going to sin. And, and, and I know that Proverbs is not uh, hard and fast rules, but they're general principles, the way life generally tends to work. And and Solomon's probably right, that the more we run our mouths, the more likely it is that we're going to say something that we shouldn't. Now, that may be hard to follow uh, just uh, in, in, with me saying it. So I put together a graph. Maybe this will clarify things. Um, it's highly technical, I realize. And if you've forgotten your algebra, you may not understand it. But words over here, as words are going up, guess what this is? This is sin, according to Proverbs. As words go up, sin goes up, up and to the right. They run together, words, sin. As, they, as one goes up, the other is, is going to go up. And, and Solomon's giving that as a warning to people who lived, interestingly, thousands of years ago. They lived thousands of years ago. And Solomon is saying to them, be careful, the more words you use, the more likely it is that you're going to sin. Now, think about how much opportunity they had during Solomon's time to use words. Um, if you wanted to communicate with somebody, really they had to be in front of you. You had to be in the same room. You had to be in the same space in order to communicate something with another person. If you wanted to talk to somebody who wasn't in your family, didn't live with you, you had to leave your house, walk down to their house, meet them, and then you could say something to them. Not to mention many of the people in Solomon's day were shepherds. They spent their whole day with nothing but sheep. 
They did not have the opportunity to use very many words. From 9 to 5, they were on the job and nobody else was around. So to that sort of society who had far less opportunity to talk and communicate, Solomon warns them, the more you talk, the more likely it is you're going to sin. Well, history kind of rolls along, and, and we get to a point where you can send letters, right? If you're able to read and write, then, then you could compose a letter, which would necessitate you sitting down, writing it out, and then finding somebody who would deliver it to another person, which took time. So, you came up with the words, and you gave it to somebody, and then your letter traveled to that person, and they got the letter and read it, and if they responded, they had to write a letter, and it had to travel back to you so that you could read. This is the way communication works, and even when the postal service comes along, still, it's you writing a letter, waiting for the, the post postal employee to pick it up, it traveling to another person, then having to travel back, this is the way communication happened. Uh, we got uh, uh, the telegraph at some point, right? which allowed in some ways for instant communication. It didn't have to go over days. It allowed for instant communication through a code. Um, this, is, this was actually my grandfather's. My grandfather learned Morse code in the military in World War II. And uh, when he got out of the military, he worked for the railroad. And one of his jobs in the railroad was to decode the telegraphs as they came through um, using Morse code. So, right? I, I don't know what I just said, but there, there is a code and a language. And so part of my grandfather's job would be to sit and listen, and he would get messages like, uh, the, the train is on time. This particular train is running late. This train has this particular load. It's not going to be stopping at your station. Make sure the tracks are clear. And so he, he would communicate those messages. And then as he, as he retired and got older, he started collecting these. This is the one that I got when my, when my grandfather passed away. Uh, he even had, I kid you not, and, and he was a wonderful grandfather, he had cassette tapes of train Morse code. And he would play them when I would visit, and he would tell me, 30 years ago, this particular train was running behind schedule, and I didn't know how to tell him, I'm not interested, Papa. I love you. I'm not so much interested in the train that was 30 years ago. But, but we had this. But, but even with this, if the movies are correct, you, you had to go to a person who knew how to operate this. You had to write out your message and give it to that person. And then they would send the message. And then your friend would have to go to a particular place and pick up their message. So again, it was kind of a slow process of messages going back and forth. Then we got the phone, right? The kind that hangs on the wall. In your home, and it has a cord, and you can only walk so far with the phone and have a conversation with one other person. You could only have a conversation with one other person while you're on the phone. Those of you in the older generation, I'm not going to try to explain party lines because 
that will only confuse the younger generation, right? Younger generation, it's not the kind of party you're thinking about, all right? It's not that kind of party. Just forget I mentioned it. You talk to one other person. That's how communication happened, right? So there was this sort of evolution of how many different ways we had to use words, ever increasing, and then the technology age comes along, and, and our opportunity to use words has exploded, right? We, Hardly any of us send letters. We send emails and text messages and we post online. And we could talk to anybody in any part of the world, right? You could pull out your cell phone. You could call somebody in another country in a different time zone right now. I mean, theoretically, you could communicate with anybody on the planet right now. And you could communicate constantly. You could constantly text, and you could constantly email, and you could talk on the phone. If you could stay awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you could use words all of the time. So we find ourselves in, in an age where, if Solomon was right, if the more words we use, the more likely it is that we'll sin, we live in a time where technology has created the perfect environment for lots of sinning, right? Because we can use words and words, and we have many different forms and forums in which to send them texts and emails and, and FaceTime and group chats and conference calls. We have all of these different ways to verbalize what's on our mind or to share our opinion. Now, that's the first part. Here's the other piece of advice, the other principle that Solomon shared with us. This is Proverbs 18. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the problem is not just that the more words we use, the more we might sin. The problem is not just that we have the opportunity to use more words more often than ever. Solomon gives a sobering thought. The words that we use, they carry the weight, they carry the power of life and death, and they matter. They have impact. They change things. So, three principles. We're working off of the more we talk or communicate, the more we tend to sin. We, because of the time that we live in, we have more ways to talk and communicate than ever before. And words have the power of life and death. And we, we don't think about that last one very often. And I think it's because we have so many different ways to communicate at our fingertips, literally. We can communicate so easily and so quickly that we live in a time when we tend to be careless with our words. We, we tend to just throw words around all the time without thinking of the weight of the words that we use. I, I, words tend to be trite and trivial today. We have a comment for everything. Because the vocabulary of the time that we live in is critique and criticism and negativity and cynicism and sarcasm and biting and finding fault, if we're not careful, we will adopt that vocabulary in our communication and forget that every word has the power of life and death. 
Words today have a short shelf life. That's another problem for us. No one cares what you thought about the thing that happened two days ago. They want you to comment on what happened today. No one cares your opinion, about your opinion about the thing you commented on yesterday. You need a new comment about a new subject today. Words have a very short shelf life today. And so they become trivial and trite. And we use them all the time. And we engage in arguments. And, and we make comments. And we offer opinions. And because that's the world we live in, we sometimes forget words matter. Let me tell you how much words matter. When the Bible opens, when, when the story of everything begins, it begins with God speaking the world into existence. Genesis pictures creation as an act of God's words. God spoke and it was God created the universe with words. That's how powerful words are. Now, you and I can't literally create a universe with our words. But we impact worlds with our words. We do shape the universe of other people with our words. We create a perspective, a world, a universe about a subject with our words. Here's how, here's how I know that to be true. Because most of us, maybe all of us if you've lived long enough, we remember a critical, hurtful comment that somebody made about us years ago. It may have been a parent, they were having a bad day. It may have been a teacher. It may have been a coach. It may have have been someone we thought was our friend. Maybe somebody we barely knew. But they said something that fired up our deepest insecurities, our deepest fears. They wounded us. And because of that wound, we still hear their voice today. We still carry insecurities today. We still carry hurt and unforgiveness today because of what somebody said years and years ago about us or to us. It shaped us. Those words shape the way we see ourselves. Maybe it shapes the way we see other people. Some of us have had the experience of someone making a negative comment about another person that we didn't even know. We didn't know their story. We didn't know their background. We didn't know everything was going on. But this person made a negative comment about them, and our whole perspective about that person was shaped because of that negative comment. And a few of us have had the experience where we later got to know that person and they weren't at all like that person said. Words have the ability to shape perspective and worlds and universes and to create attitudes about ourselves and about other people. They have the the power of life and death. And, and, And let's say the other side, they have a positive side as well. And that many of us remember an encouraging word that a parent said or a teacher said or a coach said or a friend said or a mentor said. And they spoke that over us into our life and we've never forgotten it. And for some of us, it's given us the courage 
to try things we wouldn't have tried because somebody said they believed in us or they saw a gift in us or they saw strengths in us. That's the power of words. Solomon said, those who love words, they're going to eat the fruit of it. What he meant was, there are consequences, good or bad, to the words that we choose. If we speak life, that's going to produce life in the lives of other people. If we speak death, that's going to produce harm in the lives of other people. The one thing words are not is neutral. They're not neutral. They're not trivial. They're not trite. We treat them that way, but they're not. James is the brother of Jesus over in the New Testament. James is almost at the end of the Bible. We're going to hang out in James chapter 3 for the rest of our time this morning. Um, James is giving a lot of practical life suggestions, principles uh, in, in his short book. And in chapter 3, he deals specifically with the words that we use, with our tongue. This is what James says. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Just a warning to anybody who teaches in a spiritual sense, who teaches in the church, uh, teaches from the Bible. Be careful. Be careful about the words that you choose. But then he gives a a broader, more general warning. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. We all make mistakes. We all stumble, which is refreshing. James says, look, nobody's perfect. Not trying to say that you're perfect. Nobody's perfect. We all stumble in many ways. In other words, you have certain weaknesses. I have certain weaknesses. You struggle in some ways that I don't struggle. I struggle in some ways you don't struggle. The weaknesses and struggles of our lives are varied. We all have different things that trip us up. But, James seems to be saying, one of the struggles that we all share in is our mouth, our tongue, our words. All of us, to some degree, struggle with saying the right thing at the right time or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. All of us struggle to some some degree with critical words or gossip or stretching the truth, exaggerating, talking behind people's back. All of us struggle with that, James says. As a matter of fact, he said, if you've got control of your tongue, then you're perfect because that is the hardest part of you to control. You could discipline any other area of your life. If you've managed to discipline your mouth, then you could discipline any other area of your life. What he's saying is you're you're not going to 100% do that. You and I are always going to struggle with our words. Then he starts to illustrate why it is so important for us to try to bring discipline to this area of our life. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Here's James's principle. Small part 
big impact. A small part of you, a small part of me, has a huge impact. And he uses the analogy of putting a bit in a horse's mouth, just that small, compared to the size of the horse, compared to what you would think you might need to guide and direct the horse. It's a very small part, and yet the direction of the horse is determined by this very small part in his mouth. Same thing with a ship. Comparatively speaking, the rudder is extremely small, and yet the direction of the ship is determined by this very small part. When the pilot or the captain wants to turn the whole ship, all he has to do is adjust the rudder, and everything else begins to follow. And James is saying, look, your tongue is that way. He's sort of reinforcing what Solomon said. This is a big issue. This is, your words are weighty. Your mouth can cause a lot of damage, and we all know that. Right? Because we've all had the moment where we posted something and 10 minutes later, after it blew up, we wished we had never posted it and we want to delete it. Or we said something and a day later, we wish we could take that back and we wish I had never said that because that one sentence, that one comment, that one post, that one thing that I said has now redirected my whole conversation today. Now I've got all of this damage control that I need to do. And what James is suggesting to us is try to see that before you make the comment. Instead of experiencing it on the back end, understand the weight of your words so that you choose them wisely on the front end. And there's no collateral damage on the back end. Understand the weight of your words First, and then, and then James goes on to say, it's not just the direction thing. It's the damage that your words can cause. Here he is in verse 6. Consider, think about this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You think James is trying to make his point? You need to view your tongue with the potential damage that it can do to you and to other people. It's just a small beginning. It's one of the great tragedies of forest fires, right? Because usually, once you rewind, and once they track down how that whole thing got started, it was a campfire, somebody didn't put it all the way out, there was one little ember, floated off, landed in some dry grass, started to burn, and hundreds of thousands of acres of land is burned up. Started with one spark. Somebody threw a cigarette out the window, landed in dry grass. It was just one, one spark. Thousands of acres of forest are burned up. Kids playing with matches. There's one match. There was one candle that we forgot to blow out. It fell over, set the house on fire, the whole thing burned, we lost everything. That's one of the great tragedies. When you hear these stories about fires, it was this one really small thing and it got out of control and it burned wildly. And James is saying... 
We need to think of our words that way. Our culture is not going to help us because our culture is saying, no, you need to speak. You need to have an opinion. You need to put your two cents worth in. You need to comment. You need to say something about that issue. You need to say something about that political thing. You need to be in that conversation. We're getting prompted to always say things. And James is saying, you better understand the power and the damage that your words could have because our words have the potential for destruction is what he's saying. Our, our words, it's not just the power of life and death. They have the potential to destroy. And so we can't be careless. We can't be trite in our words. He goes on in verse 7 to say, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Teach your dog to sit, roll over, stay. Go to parks and they've trained elephants and dolphins and whales. And You know what you'll never tame? You know what will never completely control is our tongue? It is this powerful small part of who we are may we never become so arrogant that we think I could never say the wrong thing James says yeah you could yeah you could if you forget the power of words you could say the wrong thing too and and, and hopefully hopefully we're better at it at 30 than we were at 20 Hopefully we're better at it at 40 than we were at 30 or better at it at 50 than we are at 40. I I, I used that illustration in the first service and somebody, I had a conversation in the hall afterwards um, about the fact that you do reach an age where you you lose all your filter and you just start saying everything. So that does happen to some people. But really, we should be getting better at controlling our tongue. The, The more we walk with Jesus, the more... The Spirit of God is restraining our impulses. But James, in the midst of saying how damaging our words could be, says you you need to constantly monitor this. You need to constantly look at the words you're saying and texting and tweeting and posting and your comments and your opinions and the way that you're making them because you won't ever fully train this area of your life. It's why in chapter 1, James says, really, we should be slow to speak. We should be slow to speak, he says in chapter 1. In order that we could monitor what's coming out of our mouth before it comes out, we should be slow to speak. Really, for, for the sake of growing in Christ, our mouth should probably get off the technology era and go back to the telegraph era i think what james is saying is what if you had to communicate like this like what if it took a couple of days if you had time to think about what you were going to say would you say that if you gave it five minutes if you gave it 30 minutes if you gave it a day would you say it the same way you should be slow to speak Slow to respond, slow to comment, slowly to put your opinion in.
James goes on to say, but part of the problem with our words is the hypocrisy of our language. He uses um, analogies like fresh water and salt water. He says fresh water and salt water shouldn't come out of the same spring. And olive vine shouldn't produce figs. There shouldn't be this duplicitous nature of our language, but there is, he says. We praise God with our mouth, and then we turn around and, and we criticize people made in the image of God, James says. And his comment is, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. When you look at nature, there is a consistency about nature. Fresh water comes from fresh spring. Salt water comes from salt, salt spring. You, you don't have this duplicitous nature uh, um, uh, effect in nature. You do in us. You have this hypocrisy in humans who say one thing in one environment and then they say something else in another environment. Part of the reason for that, I think, <clears throat> is that the weight of our words can feel different coming out of our mouth compared to how they feel when they land on someone. And if I could give you another illustration, James has talked about a couple. I think because we use so many words, we have so many avenues for expressing ourselves today, because our words become careless and because they become constant, it's easy to make comments. It's easy to offer opinions. It's easy to critique. But those words that come out of our mouth, they feel one way to the person saying them, and often they feel very different to the person that it lands on. Uh, these are two-pound weights. This is what I work out with. These are really light. Like you could toss these around. Like no, nobody's pulling a muscle with these. I, I could throw these uh, if I wanted to. Rob, I could probably get one out there to you if, if I really wanted to. Uh, David, I could probably get one over there to you and without a problem. Jody, I think I could get one back there to you. Uh, two pound weights, they're easy. And I could pick up probably just as many as I want, and I could throw in any direction and, and toss them over there. And, and I would probably forget about it. I'd forget who all I'd thrown them to uh, after I did. I, I wouldn't pull a muscle, you know, at least the first couple times I wouldn't. Um, it, it wouldn't cause any injury to me. It'd just be easy because these are really light. I, because we live in such a wordy language, Words are like two-pound weights to us now. We just throw them anywhere. We just comment anywhere, say anything about anybody, offer our opinion. It takes like 10 seconds. As fast as my fingers can type, I can make a comment about something. I can offer an opinion. And when it leaves my fingers, when it leaves my mouth, when I hit send, when I hit reply all, it's light, it's easy. The problem is, oftentimes, what was easy on my end to throw around lands in somebody's life like this. I mean, it's easy for me just to toss it over here. And what I, 
What I didn't think about was that word that was so easy for me to say or type or post or comment on, when this person sees it, when it lands in their life, it feels like this, not like that. It feels like a boulder of weight. It doesn't feel like a easy little comment that somebody made. It feels crushing. It feels like a burden that now they're carrying around because it was just so easy for me to make that comment. And I'm going to put this down. Some of you have been the recipients of what another person carelessly and flippantly threw at you. And it was easy for them. The words they chose, it was easy to be dismissive of you, to be cruel to you. It was easy. They said it and walked away. without ever realizing that this landed in your heart because they flippantly said something critical about you. One of the hard parts of the time that we live in is when we toss this, we often don't even see it land over here. Sometimes... We're gossiping about somebody over here. We're criticizing somebody over here. And it makes its way back to that person. And it lands like that, not like this. And we're not even there. We don't even know they found out. It's one of the great dangers of the electronic age. Is that I can toss my two-pound comment at you. And I don't even have to look you in the eye when I do it. I don't even have to be on the same continent as you. If I want to text you or email you, or if I want to uh, give my opinion on your social media feed, I don't even have to look at you to throw a comment at you. The problem is, even though we're not in the same room, even though I'm not looking at you, this landed in your life because of words that I just threw away. That's why James said, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. He's specifically talking to those of us who follow Jesus, who, who, who believe that Jesus redeemed us and, and set us free and gave us His grace and told us to love one another and even told us to love our enemies. James says, like, stop burning people's lives down with your words. Stop, stop setting things on fire because you can't control your negative, critical, gossipy, fault-finding work. It shouldn't be this way. 
And we will have to monitor it our whole lives. Our whole lives. We will be tempted to say hurtful things. We will be tempted to gossip and stretch the truth and exaggerate and make ourselves look good by making somebody else look bad. And James says, you got to stop. You gotta stop. This week, uh, we're gonna be in a lot of conversations. We're gonna send a lot of texts and a lot of emails. We're gonna read a lot of stuff on social media and a lot of articles on the internet. And, and every moment of every day, we're gonna choose whether our words have the power of life or whether they have the power of death. We're gonna pick. Every time. Pick life. Speak in ways and words that bring life. God, help us this week. Help us to monitor. Help us to consider. Help us to think through. If we, if we had a week to consider this comment, would we still make it? If we, if we had five minutes to think about whether this is the best way to make that point, would we still say those words? If we knew this conversation about another person that's not here was going to start a forest fire, would we light the spark? If we knew our critical, cruel comment was going to be received not as a two-pound comment, but as a 60-pound comment, would we still make that comment? Fresh water and salt water shouldn't come out of the same spring. Help us to be a pure fountain this week that brings life in the words that we choose. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.